sun's getting stronger while the ice is wearing thin come out of the shadow. hello welcome to rising with the tide podcast jamie how are you doing i'm doing pretty good today pretty good you happy this is our first episode we get to uh to use our new name it's beautiful yeah i love the new name i i <laughs> i think yeah it took a while it took a while while just, to just gotta wear it out like a new pair of shoes i think yeah yeah it might not fit as well as uh well i'm not even sure if we're allowed to say our old name legally but uh a few of you might know we had some legal troubles with our name um nothing too terrible but we've had to make a name change and so from now on we're known as the rising with the tide podcast um what you just heard before was an excerpt from power to change by luna beck and today we're joined by the amazing kamea shane from the green dreamer podcast kamea welcome on the show welcome thank you so much for having me hey <laughs> how are you today i'm doing all right um it's a slow sunday morning but i'm happy to be here with my dogs that are around me oh that's nice yeah morning uh for us it's it's pretty much night time yeah <laughs> Jamie, thank you Jamie, for accommodating yeah. this time because the time difference no okay. worries at all i'm i'm currently in belgium jamie's in the uk um that will change actually very soon uh for our listeners who uh, i don't know if maybe we have some listeners in costa rica who knows but i'm moving to costa rica for a few months uh in about three four days so oh wow any any listeners there uh let me know we can maybe grab a, a socially distanced beer or something that would be cool um so camera thank you so much for coming i i have to say i absolutely love your show i i've heard i can't say i've heard every episode i mean you have 291 so that's <laughs> quite a bit of, of content um but it's a good thing it's a good thing i i just i'm definitely going to go through them at some point but you know like it's like having a lot of good books that you buy and you know you want to read them all, but you can't find the time. It's kind of like that, but I am actually going through them. Um, and I, I no have to pressure. say, I really, I really appreciate the topics as well. I think your show is definitely one of the shows out there that, that tackles the specific topics like in detail uh, really well instead of going for really broad, generalized uh, discussions. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and I'm honored to hear that you've been tuning into the show. Uh, so I guess we'll start with uh, a few questions, maybe about you. Uh, do you want to tell our listeners about your your path to Green Dreamer uh, and maybe your path in, within Green Dreamer as well? So how did you come to creating a podcast? Maybe, uh, you know, have you studied this sort of thing or was it a passion project and and how has it been being on this journey as well yeah so i'm a third culture kid i was born and raised in taiwan um, but i sort of grew up in the city so i didn't really have direct experiences uh, with you know just conservation and this whole field of environmentalism um, but i had always watched things like animal planet or national geographic with my family and stuff so always had a an instinctive interest in, in these topics. And when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to volunteer in Costa Rica at the um, oh, really? <laughs> conservation. Yeah, so I did that for I think a month or so. And then I also volunteered at the uh, Panda Conservation in China. So, I mean, a lot of these were out of sort of like an innocent love, just hearing about how, oh, these species are endangered and they're going extinct. And that obviously doesn't sound right. So I wanted to see what I could do to help. And these firsthand, these firsthand experiences solidified my interest. So when I was in university, I studied psychology, environmental studies and marketing. Um, and so this of course furthered my interest and path in connecting these different fields. So like human behavior, why we do the things that we do as individuals, and then how that's connected to the environment. And around the same time, I picked up a book called The Ecologist's Guide to Fashion, because when I was in college, I was very interested in fashion as a means of self-expression. Um, there were all these events, like social events that you go to, so pretty typical of a college student to, um, I guess, be interested in the field maybe. So uh, I picked up this book because it connected my interest in fashion and my interest in ecology. And I hadn't connected the dots before then. 
So I read this book and it completely blew my mind because you, you hear things about how like it requires about three years worth of drinking water to grow enough cotton to make one single t-shirt, which is just yeah. insane. Um, and just like a bunch of statistics like that or how uh, the suicide rates for cotton farmers in India is through the roof and really mm -hmm. high. And so just connecting all these social and environmental issues that I had cared about, but with something that I personally engage with on a day-to-day -day basis. So I started to see how you know our personal choices are connected to these seemingly far away issues um, that we may be interested in. So this is what set me down the path of learning about conscious consumerism and seeing how individually we affect the problems that we might learn about in our classes or just from documentaries and things like that. Um, so yeah, I kind of went down this path and a few years later, I was at a stage where I was learning about a bunch of social and ecological crises in the world. And it was making me feel very overwhelmed because I felt like I was doing my best in my own life, but I didn't know what impact I was really having. So I, it was a pretty depressing stage where I just felt kind of helpless seeing everything horrible that's happening on happening around the globe. And around the same time, I was starting to listen to podcasts as a way just to learn in my own life. And I just appreciated to, I just appreciated being able to learn like while I was driving, while I was making breakfast, mm -hmm. or it's just an intimate way to be able to learn. So I was like, well, maybe I should start a podcast to learn about what people are doing to address these crises that were making me feel overwhelmed because I always was most activated when I was learning about the solutions that people were working on. So yeah. eventually I just um, made that happen and Green Dreamers started from there. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I guess in a way, content creation, at least for me, and I, I wonder if it's the same for you, but content creation I've found is a way for me to get into topics that I don't necessarily want to engage in uh, outside of that content creation. So what I mean is, for example, uh, Belgian politics. So my, uh, I'm, I'm half Belgian, half Tunisian, and neither country has been of interest for me in terms of politics. And I can't really put my finger why, but uh, every I've done a politics degree and the politics of every country interests me, but not my own. And <laughs> it wasn't until I decided to make uh, some sort of like content for this podcast about Belgian politics that I actually took the time to go and look at the specificities of, you know, the Belgian far right and Belgian environmentalism, or even Tunisia as well. Um, and so I, I don't know, but for me, content creation, the podcast has been like a, a way to learn through creation. I don't know if that's been the same for you. Um, I can kind of relate, I guess. I mean, when I studied environmental studies at university, I took this course on environmental policy where I basically learn about this, what it's called the iron triangle, but in US politics, it basically just shows how difficult it is to actually create environmental policy change because there are three main players um, that sort of feed into each other and kind of lock the system in place. So after I learned that, I was like, well, since it's so hard to get political changes enacted, um, I'm gonna focus on conscious consumerism because that's a very direct way that we can uh, support change. So I really tuned out of US politics for years mm -hmm. because I initially learned how difficult it was to create change through that format. Um, but then after starting the podcast and like having to dissect different topics, eventually we have to go into politics because that affects yeah. so much of you know our relationship with the earth that it forced me to dive into this field again. And you know it renewed my interest in trying to understand how we can create some sort of systemic change through the field of politics. So I share a similar, I guess, experience with you in kind of tuning out of US politics for a long time and then mm -hmm. now really digging my heels into it again. Yeah, I have to say that US politics is definitely a lot more toxic than Belgian politics, <laughs> especially <laughs> recently. <laughs> yeah, definitely, I can imagine. Belgian politics is just all bureaucracy. It's, it's so boring, but I guess that's a good thing in some ways. Um, I, I wanted to ask what your, your team is like, because I've seen, you know, on your website and all that, that you do have uh, a, quite like a proper team with a researcher and editor and all that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I first started, it was just me doing everything, obviously, um, as I'm sure you can relate, like the podcast <laughs> editing and all that stuff. 
And I got to a point where the podcast audio editing was taking up way too much of my time because like my expertise is really the just, you know, hosting these conversations, doing the research, asking the questions and things like that. So I just didn't feel like it was working out for me. Um, so eventually I hired a part-time audio editor and he's still with me today. So that's Scott Donnell, who is listed on our website. And I don't have any full-time team members, so we're not that legit yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. he, he helps out part-time with like the audio editing to make sure that the audio experience is great for the listener. And then I've had some other part-time people that like came and left. And now I have an um, intern who reached out to me Initially, I was just going to take back on the things that the other part-time people were doing myself, um, but this guy happened to reach out. He's currently a sophomore student at Harvard University, and he reached out wanting to um, basically intern for Green Dreamer this spring season. Um, right. So yeah, I just took him on and he, he just started for like the past week. And yeah, if great. people are, are asking to intern for you, then you mm. know you've made it at least to some extent, right? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely very honored that he asked me and I feel very fortunate that he's here to help me out. So it's also definitely still part time, but yeah, um, yeah, very grateful so, for. The so the podcast for you is also part time. Um, at this point, it takes up the majority of my time. And right. I would say that even when I'm not actively working on the podcast, in a way, I'm still working on the podcast. So when I'm consuming social media content or like during my off time, just watching documentaries or interviews, that in a way is still indirectly supporting my work as the host because it helps me to be able to talk about, you know, weave in more topics that I might otherwise not have. So it's kind of like a beyond full-time thing just because I can't turn yeah. it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how that feels. I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm interested in your, your ideas about kind of cons uh, res responsible consumerism and such. So yeah, the, the the idea of this um, iron triangle as well is quite interesting. So you so you you're saying how hard it is um, to kind of enact change in that area. Do you, do you think was it kind of an impression that we we genuinely sort of like ordinary people generally sort of don't have um, power in that area? Do you think? Um, so I literally just pulled this up because I wanted to get this right. But the iron triangle. So the three players. Uh, and this is US politics, but I'm guessing the same thing probably applies in other countries too. But on the one hand, you have Congress and then you have bureaucracy and then interest group. So basically their interests kind of feed into each other to make it difficult for everyday people's interests to be accounted for in that sort of you know power dynamic. Um, so I do think, I mean, just in the US right now, I think like over 70% of the country supports a government-run healthcare system. But yeah. for some reason, yeah. the political establishments keep telling us that it's an extreme idea and it's too radical and it's fringe. But this is a really mainstream idea. It's like the one, one of the most popular policies across the left and the right right now. But within the political establishments, it's, it's a fringe idea because most of our politicians do not support that. And that's of course, because of the influence of um, moneyed interests that are, that are um, in bed with both sides of the major parties. So yeah, yeah. everyday and, people's and, interests are kind of sidelined. And unfortunately in the US you have the additional issue of um, having a, a political system that can't be changed that easily, that, that requires the kind of um, the states with less people to agree to have their powers kind of taken away, especially the, those states with less people, they're oftentimes blocking things like this. Um, like the, the Senate system, I always thought was, I don't know, I, I guess there's arguments for and against, but for me, it always felt a little silly that like California has as many senators as, uh, you know, Wisconsin, like it, it doesn't make much sense or Nebraska um, yeah. population wise, what is it like California has millions and millions of people in Nebraska, I think it's like breaks through a million barely, something like that. Yeah, there's certainly a lot to question in terms of how this whole thing was set up and I guess like their intention was the House of Representatives would be able to more accurately reflect um, the population of different places but mm -hmm. still there are so many questions <laughs> to be had here. Yeah and I guess this poses the question of um, something I, I really love talking about because I think it's at the heart of the environmental crisis um, and that is something that we're tackling bit by bit but 
it's the idea of the structural change versus individual change, right? You've mentioned conscious uh, consumerism, and but also this kind of structural changes uh, that are really difficult to to make happen. Have you had this sort of dilemma? Like, have you? Do you think you figured out for yourself this dilemma between, you know, do we need to push for a structural change? Is individual change even like worth it, or is it? Does it matter really when you know if I drink out of a bottle instead of a plastic bottle, like a reusable bottle instead of a plastic bottle, when you know there's uh, an oil field right over there that's consuming as much electricity as three cities worth? Yeah, so I I personally don't see it as a dilemma or either or. I see it sort of as a journey because I think it's pretty natural for anyone who's just starting out in this field to start with the more the the less overwhelming and more tangible personal changes. Um, so like the quote unquote sustainable swaps and you know changing this out for that. I feel like that's a good way to get started. Even though in the big picture, I really don't think that makes enough of a difference for us to address mm -hmm. our ecological and social crises. But I think it's a good way to get started because it helps us build confidence in our ability to do something about you know this big thing that's happening. And um, so yeah, it's kind of like a personal growth journey where you start with the more the easier things, the more tangible things. And then inevitably, for me at least, once I started in this field, I later realized how systemic things are because so much of the options that we have available for us to choose from are predetermined by the system itself. And mm -hmm. obviously with systemic economic injustice, there's also a lot of concerns with people not having access to those healthier choices to begin with. And that's mm. not their fault. Um, but once we start to take on conscious consumerism as a measurement of moral superiority, I think that's where it becomes dangerous because there are people that literally don't have access to these healthier choices that you have, that you're using to call yourself more sustainable and more ethical than other people. So like, I really don't want to enter the territory of this becoming individualistic where people are yeah. using these better and more ethical choices as a way of achieving something for the self. Because ultimately to me, I don't think it's possible in an unjust system for one individual to be ethical or in an extractive and exploitative system for one mm -hmm. person to be sustainable. Um, so that's, that's kind of the line I draw is I support conscious consumerism and us doing whatever we can within our means, but not using it as a tool to like shame and judge other people. Because ultimately yeah. it is about the system and we do have to go into the more systemic changes to make it easier for everybody to make these healthier changes. Yeah. So yeah, more like a pragmatic than, thing than a status thing. Yeah. Um, so I think I had this conversation with Charles Eisenstein where we talked about how it's not, it's not very helpful for us to think about how doing this thing makes us more ethical or more sustainable. And it's more, it's better for us to reframe those things to, for example, how can I be helpful to my community or how can I act in a way that's regenerative for the ecosystem? So mm -hmm. things that describe our actions and what we're actively doing rather than things that des describe like a, a sort of status or achievement mm -hmm. for our egos. Yeah, so I that really sounds, liked that, sounds that conversation. A lot more productive, for sure. So, so this is sort of a um, a, a a way to solve m many environmental issues um, outside of the kind of traditional political sphere. Do you think? Um, what is like? Um, so, so you know, responsible consumerism. If you're if you're kind of removing the demand for these industries that. Um, are kind of harming the environment is, is that do you think that's sort of a sufficient solution outside of the political sphere i don't think it's sufficient because okay. um first of all we have an economic system that undervalues physical labor for a lot of people um and it also it also undervalues our quote-unquote natural resources to begin with and it doesn't take into account the full value of you know, a healthy functioning biodiverse ecosystem. Um, so there's basically a lot that matters to our humanity and our collective well-being that are not currently valued in this monetary mm -hmm. system. And a lot of uh, forms of caretaking, for example, like 
parents raising their children like that act itself is not it's valued at zero in this economic system but that's so important in you know creating a healthy and vibrant community and future so basically the economic system is already set up in a way where it really devalues a lot of things that matter to us um, and essentially turns natural resources into products for that to be considered valuable to the system and it also turns a lot of relationships um, transactional or turns relationships into services and by doing that that also a lot of times reduces these relationships into you know ones that are much more superficial as opposed to yeah. one ones founded on reciprocity and a deeper sort of um, spirituality and connection with people that you care deeply about so there's that element of it and then another part is that even inside of this system we're currently majorly subsidizing things like fossil fuels so the true cost of anything coming out of this industry like plastic won't really reflect their true cost because they've been artificially cheapened. Mm -hmm. So for example, global transport, how we're you know, exporting vegetables from one country, then importing the same vegetables from another country or exporting beef and then importing beef. A lot, a lot of that really doesn't make sense, but just yeah. the act yeah. of transporting goods around the globe is so cheap comparatively. Um, in part because of how fossil fuels are subsidized so much. Yeah, and especially through taxes. Like I, I, I was um, I was applying for, for this job the other day, so I had, I had to do a lot of research on a specific topic to be interviewed on. And, and it ended up being a VAT, you know, a value-added mm -hmm. tax in the UK. And I was only just finding out then, finding out then that VAT in the UK for freight, uh, so uh, boats that take, you know, things like beef or, or coal even, whatever, take it, export it out of the UK, there's a VAT of 0% on that. Um, gas or oil, like to, or, or um, what's the word? Or hard and solid fuels to use for heating or for electricity in, in homes is, is a reduced VAT rate of 5%. But so is electricity for like things like uh, from, that comes from renewable energy. So it, the VAT system in itself, like our tax system, makes no sense in terms of environmental uh, dynamics or even for social progress. Yeah, there's certainly, yeah. So basically a lot of things in our current society, they don't reflect their true costs. So if we were to focus on conscious consumerism, that doesn't address the system that incentivizes certain practices over the others. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really if, liked- Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, I really liked um, your episode with Guillaume Pitron, um, the unmasking green energy um, and the social injustice environmental costs. We did a sort of similar episode of sorts with uh, Alexander Dunlap, uh, a researcher, American researcher who's currently at Oslo University. And uh, he kind of had the, the same stuff that Guillaume said on your podcast, which was uh, all the kind of hidden costs of the mining and, and the metals and, and all the stuff that we don't really hear about for um, so-called green or, or clean energy. And um, I have to say, like, this is probably one of the only podcasts, that kind of more mainstream, at least, uh, environmental podcasts that I see having, having tackled this sort of topic. Did this open your eyes a little bit or did you already know about this? Because for us, when we did the similar episode, we had no idea about the kind of scale of green energy's um, environmental costs. So for us, it was a huge eye-opener. I think for me, I was already aware um, of the issues in that field, but I definitely learned a lot from the conversation regardless, because I had never went that deep into it. And I had never thought about how when we take on this new quote unquote green infrastructure, it's really just substituting, substituting one form of um, reliance on natural resources that are not really fully renewable to another form that is not fully renewable. Because if we think about this idea of renewable energy, that renewable really applies to something like the sun or the water. Um, like the, the natural, I don't want to say natural, but like, you know, the things that are coming from earth that are renewable. But when, as soon as we're talking about the infrastructure itself needed to convert mm -hmm. those forms of renewable energy into usable forms that you know we can utilize in our um, to power our society, like that infrastructure itself is not renewable because mm -hmm. like solar panels, they're pretty durable, I guess, but they still have a lifespan and they will yeah. come to a point where they're no longer gonna 
um, yeah. function anymore. And these rare metals too, like those are not renewable either. So yeah, they the just get day, sent to like Ghana to to be put in e-waste uh, mountains full of, yeah. of uh, toxic materials for kids to just then kind of play around in. It's really sad. Exactly. So yeah. this idea of like just shifting who is facing that injustice is also something that I didn't really think about a lot before that conversation. Because for example, mm-hmm. a wealthy country like the US might be able to be 100% quote unquote green um, and be solar powered or wind powered, but we're really just exporting that pollution to another country, to yeah. the mining communities and then to the waste sites where we're dumping the e-waste in the end. So. Yeah, and I, I think that that specific topic is really um, difficult to talk about sometimes with a lot of people because like in my experience when I talk to friends or, or even family members about this sort of thing about you know talk, or, or when they listen to our podcast the rare times that my friends and family listen to my podcast <laughs> um, they they end up you know telling me a lot of them that it makes them feel a little bit hopeless even though we try and, and stick you know with the solutions based kind of uh, narrative, it's still difficult, I think, for a lot of people to see, you know, see the truth, for example, about green, uh, quote, unquote, green energy, and then see the actual impact that it still has, even though it is lesser, it's still a quite important impact. And, and for them to kind of come to me and be like, Skander, I like, what do we do then? Like, I, I, I don't know, I bought an electric car, I thought it was enough you know i switched my lights uh, to leds i thought it was enough i stopped eating meat like how what can i do and they started to seem so hopeless and i guess i wonder how you've handled that because you said you started the podcast out of this sort of place of hopelessness in in a way and i wonder how that has changed or maybe if you felt that hopelessness again uh due to the podcast maybe due to going deeper into these topics and and kind of seeing that there aren't maybe that not as many things are like are what they seem a lot of the time yeah I definitely go through my personal emotional ups and downs so I go through phases where I feel absolutely hopeless um, which is I think pretty relatable because a lot of the news coming out of this uh, world is still negative and then I go through cycles where I'm learning about what people are doing how people are building community and just trying to create an alternative to what we have right now. And I, it empowers me again, or it activates me again, when I think about like what people are doing and the projects that are being worked on. And specifically like the, this whole quote unquote green energy thing. I think a lot of people feel very depressed hearing about it because right now, when we hear about our ecological issues and climate change, for example, like the solution proposed to us has been to shift the entire fossil fuel reliant energy system to clean energy but once you tell people hey clean energy isn't really our solution because it has all these problems too it kind of shatters people's sense of like direction of like Mm -hmm. okay i thought this was our solution like as long as we move to this place like that's it like we'll be good so it's kind of like shattering people's um ideas of what we need going forward but i do think that ultimately it's still really important to confront reality because we don't want to move on to this system and then be like oh crap like there are all these new issues that we didn't know were here beforehand and now we have to face them again so um i think having these discussions is important because for example obviously like converting or working towards a green quote-unquote clean energy system is still a stepping stone forward uh away from a uh, carbon heavy Um, economy, but ultimately understanding that it doesn't go far enough makes it so that while some people work on the immediate changes of helping us work towards um, solar and wind and geothermal, et cetera, we also have a lot more people focused on the real long-term solutions. And what will that look like? Like a lot, it's really a question to be raised, but I hope that we're asking those questions and Mm. we get more um, really smart and creative people thinking about that more distant long-term goal that we want to work towards uh, because that's how we can ultimately actually address our social, social and ecological yeah. crises. Yeah. And then also to like one of my biggest problems at the moment is just trying to, trying to see through all the greenwashing um, that happens. I mean, 
I, I always knew it was there, but like, I feel like the more you look into it, the more you, you see greenwashing. Um, just like the other day, uh, the UK was celebrating that they were nearing 10% of the entire econ like entire country being run on uh, biofuels. And I mean, you probably know this already, um, uh, but I don't know about our listeners, but biofuels is often just a synonym for burning wood. That's all it is. Um, and in the UK, it's actually not just wood, it's wood pellets. And it's wood pellets brought in a lot of the time from the uh, from Brazil, from America. So we're paying boats to come from the US to the UK full of boat pellets and then driving lorries back and forth to go pick up the wood pellets and send them to the boiler. And it's just a cycle like that. And, and then we treat that as a sort of renewable energy. Like it's part of the renewable energy quadrants in the in graphs and i it does feel for me my moments of hopelessness lately have come from seeing that and not seeing enough of pushback against it at least not from voices that seem to break through the mold you know yeah and that's why your show is so important we need more people like you that are asking these questions and kind of uncovering what's going on behind the scenes of what is promoted as green to us because yeah, it's definitely not just products being labeled like organic, sustainable, or you know, mega corporations that say that you know they're switching one thing out of their whole product line to organic, so they're doing you know much better for the environment now. It definitely goes deeper than that. I feel like this idea of greenwashing, and yeah, that's a perfect example of something that's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we're gonna take a little break and and play our. Uh well, famous uh, untitled game, since we still can't find a name for it. <laughs> We're still taking in requests. Please, people, just send us a good name. We have not found any name that fits for this game. So we keep just calling it the animal sound game because that's technically okay. just what it is. Um, I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> <laughs> don't be, don't be. Um, everybody just shake off the stress. It's okay. Um, so... I will, I've sent a, I've uploaded, sorry, a file to our Google Drive. Um, I'm just going to give you a link now in the chat for the Zoom. And if you can just click on the link, you should be able to then listen to the file. So Jamie has not heard this before. Uh, okay. Don't worry, he doesn't have the advantage. He knows nothing <laughs> about it. Both of you just let me know if uh, if the link works. Um, <laughs> don't be afraid. It is an animal. It will sound weird. It always does. For every single uh, guest we've had is always just a bit taken aback by how bizarre sometimes the sounds are. For Kamea and for those of you, uh, our listeners who do not know about this game, here are the rules. They're very simple, very quick. Uh, Jamie here represents the uh, Rising with the Tide team. So that's me and him. Although I have yet to ever have participated in the game. That's nice <laughs> uh, Jamie is currently at three points. And Kamea will represent the guest team uh, full of wonderful people over the past few weeks or months that we've played this. Um, and your score is a two. So you can actually tie this up for the guest team if you oh, manage to so win today. <laughs> it is a bit of pressure. And I'm hoping you will because Jamie always needs to be taken down a notch and uh, <laughs> he's always a bit too cocky. Um, so the rules of the game are really simple. There is a sound that I've uploaded. You'll both get to listen to it for now. And then uh, we will start with Kamea and then go to Jamie. And you each get a, uh, a guess. After both of you take a guess, if neither is correct then i will give you a hint um and then you can re-guess again and if no one uh guesses after an hour then i will just have to stop the call at some point <laughs> <laughs> so uh Kamea, are you do you have any idea what it could be let me listen again I, i'm really hoping you'll like surprise us and just guess it right right on top come on you can do this. Is it a horse? Ooh, nope. Not a horse. Damn. <laughs> good, good guess, though. Good guess. Jamie? Um, 
Is it? It sounds like it's very jowly. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? Jowly. Well, then you've got jowls, right? Jowls. Yeah. You mean jaw? No, jow, jowl. Jowl. Oh, I didn't. Know yeah, that. like a like. Oh wow! Um, I did not know that was a word. I'm, I'm just gonna play the French as my first language card then and say that I did not know that was a thing. Um, uh, and it sounds like it's in. I don't know. It just sounds wet. It sounds like it's, it sounds like it's near the sea or a river or something. A wet jowl. Um, at first, I thought. Well, no. Okay, I'm just gonna say what I think. I, may, okay. Is it a walrus? Ooh, a walrus. No, it is not. No, 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 no. Um, okay, so a couple of hints. Um, it's an in, an endangered animal. Uh, it's currently in the sort of like middle section of uh, the three threatened tiers. Um, so it's, it's quite endangered. It is. It does rely on a lot of like water terrain. So it lives on land and in water, kind of in between both. And hmm. It is often being illegally hunted for food. So those are quite difficult hints, but just gotta, I don't want to give it away too quick. Okay, Camia, do you have a, a guess? Is it a hippo? Oh, she's done it! Yay! No, <laughs> she's I was actually going to guess that for my first guess, but then I didn't hear any sounds of water, so I was like, maybe it's not a water creature. Oh my god, she yay! did it! She did it! It's a pygmy hippopotamus. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's a small hippopotamus uh, native to the forests and swamps of West Africa, primarily in Liberia, uh, with small populations in Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Ivory Coast. Although the one that you heard right there was uh, a little animal from uh, Germany, from a, a, a zoo. No, not a zoo, sorry. From, a, from the Animal Museum of Germany. So I don't actually know exactly where that one comes from. Um, but yeah, good job. So the score is 3-3. Three, three. My God. Yay, well, team I, guest. <laughs> I, it's still a tie, though. I've never been losing. I've never... <laughs> <laughs> the goal, these goals post shit. This is the lowest I, I can time. ever go. I can't go any lower than this. Well, pressure's on your next guest, so... Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for playing that. So, okay, 3-3. Three, three. That's really good news for me. Um mm -hmm. I, I guess we have a little bit more time and I, I want to maybe talk about um, your personal experiences. We've talked a little bit about topics around environment, but I want to talk maybe about Green Dreamer podcast in itself and what are maybe some of your, your favorite episodes that you've done? Um, some that maybe you had a bit of, diff I, I don't want to say the, your worst episodes, but like, you know, which ones you had the, a bit of difficulty with, or uh, maybe if you have some fun stories to tell us. Uh, that sort of thing? Um, I definitely don't have any worse experiences. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I'm just really grateful and honored to be able to have all these conversations because everyone takes me a little further and deeper into all these amazing topics. So mm -hmm. um, every, yeah, it's so hard to pick favorites when people ask, you know, these sorts of questions. Um, yeah. But in terms of worst experience, I will say one time I forgot to check if the episode was recording and oh God. <laughs> my, my recording software like technically is supposed to automatically record when the conversations start so mm. I just I didn't make it a habit of checking whether it was actually recording in the beginning so I had this full hour-long really amazing conversation with this person oh, no. and then ended the call and at the end I was like oh my god where is this file and that red button like never turned on or the Ooh. software just never launched oh. to begin with so yeah, I didn't oh, notice awful. this until the entire like amazing conversation was over with and had to like shamefully email the guests to tell them that none of it was recorded and oh, like, ask if she'd be willing to do another conversation with me that is a little shorter, um, which really sucks because like when you ask people questions for the first time, you usually get the mm -hmm. best responses. Yeah. And it is different when they yeah. sort of know like where it's going to go or they, yeah. I mean, it's helpful to know. It feels like, rehearsed, topics, right? Yeah, it's just less natural. Like when you can catch people the first time, they might share things that they might not have otherwise shared and things like that. So that was not a great experience, but I definitely learned from it. And it's now in my pre-recording checklist to like make sure that the recording button is turned on or the software yeah. is. Yeah, I, I, th I think that's or... every podcast host's worst nightmare. Nightmare, to... yep. Not only <laughs> to see the, the red button. <laughs> thanks yeah i hope so either but we have had some issues where like um 
for example, it didn't save. I, I, I was trying to use the Zoom cloud feature because we just got Zoom premium. Thanks to our amazing few but amazing Patreons. We managed to, to be able to pay the 14 bucks a month for, uh, for Zoom premium. And with that came, uh, so we didn't have to like shamefully ask for, um, for them to re-click the link every 45 minutes, which was, I don't know, personally, it was, it was horror for me. I, I hated to do that, to stop the conversation, you know, sometimes when they went really fun, good places and just say, ah, oh, sorry, we have to close the episode. Can you please re-click on the link mm. and we'll restart recording? Yeah, because um, it's always going to be three people for you guys because you guys are co-hosts. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. For me, um, I sometimes I use Zoom if the people, the guests um, don't have Skype and it's usually just me and one other person. So for the most part, I've been able to use their free version <laughs> for Zoom. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I've really appreciated with Zoom is that you can... Um, you can edit, you can get like one audio file per person, which um, and it felt very easy to get that. I'm not sure if you can get it with Skype. Maybe you can. Yeah, you can yeah? do that. Okay. You can record on separate tracks. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, but then uh, the one time that I tried the cloud one, I realized that you couldn't do that. And so our entire episode was just mirrored with, uh, you know, Jamie moving on this chair, yeah. me drinking <laughs> my water, the like squeaky just, chair. <laughs> can just oh, no. hear everything. It was horrendous. Um, but but yeah, I, I get what you mean in terms of the best episodes thing. It is quite difficult. Um, I was wondering maybe if you had one where maybe the one one that kind of shocked you at least, like gave you kind of a maybe you kind of take a little bit of a step mm. back or or something like that, or maybe some guest that you really that you didn't expect to be able to have or, or and, and had, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know if it really shocked me, but I really have been interested in this idea of biocultural diversity. So in the dominant extinction rebellion, for example, or in the mm -hmm. environmental movement, a lot of people focus on biodiversity loss without connecting the dots between biodiversity loss and cultural diversity loss and language diversity loss. But if you think about it, like in indigenous cultures all emerge from place. So those cultural practices and their language are, they emerge from those landscapes. So there are very specific words, for example, in their linguistics that reflect like the sort of details and stories from the landscape or for them to be able to tell apart, you know, different types of snow or different types of uh, ripples in the water, or they can just be very, they have, a much deeper relationship to place and their language is able to reflect that. So when you have a lot of this um, language loss going on, cultural diversity loss going on, it's not a coincidence that that's happening at the same time as biodiversity loss because there's just so much place-based knowledge that is that has been marginalized in the name of the more dominant um, one-size-fits-all environmental solutions that the dominant Western sci scientific field is trying to impose onto you know communities around the globe. So mm -hmm. I think it's really powerful, really powerful for us to think about um, place-based solutions and community-based solutions going forward. Yeah, for sure. Do you think um, do you think you'd have maybe a, a few tips for our audience? Because I know that there are a few people that listen to us that have their own podcasts. Um, and I guess we'd love to hear some of your tips as well. But do you have any, um, any suggestions for people on how to, to maintain an audience, how to interact with your audience, um, that sort of thing? Maybe not specifically for environmental podcasts, but just in general from what you've learned over the years? Yeah. I mean, whenever people ask me these more businessy type questions, I feel like I never really have a good response because it's not something that I am that great at or actively think about, even though I should probably do more um, learning on this front. I think in general, I just try to do my best to keep learning more because I think as podcast hosts, that's really integral to our ability to be able to um, you know, lead and guide interesting discussions. So like I mentioned earlier, even when I'm not working on the podcast itself in a direct way. I'm still reading, listening, watching interviews on other topics because um, I am personally just very interested in all of these topics. So for me, a lot of times they don't really feel like work because I'm just interested in that. So that's helpful. Um, so I would say that, you know, just stay curious about topics that e even feel 
superficially not related to this topic of the environment, but it's always interesting to find parallels and patterns in other topics that we can kind of bring in to um, this topic of sustainability or whatever it is that your um, guests who are also podcast hosts or aspiring podcasters may be focused on. So yeah, to broaden your range of things that you learn about on a daily basis, because there are always interesting ways to weave those um, themes into the discussion. And then there is one more specific tip that I learned from a voice coach a long time ago when I was giving one of my first keynote discussions. Um, but basically, when we're speaking to an audience, whether it's on social media or through the podcast or video or things like that, we may feel like we're talking to a group of people. So we might be like you guys or um, all of you and have this language as if we're talking to a large group of people, but it really helps the listener's experience for them to feel more intimate with you if you speak okay, as yeah. if you're talking to one person. Because in their mind, like it's just you, for a listener, it's just you and them. So yeah, yeah. when you just address them directly as um, a person, so instead of saying some of you, da, 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 you could say like, oh, maybe you have done this before. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like having a conversation with one person as a friend, as opposed to making the audience aware that they're just one among many, many people who are also listening to the yeah. show. So yeah. it helps them feel more intimate and special, I guess. Yeah, um, that, that's fantastic. That's a great tip, I think. Yeah, so I that's a more specific that. thing. Um, but yeah, otherwise just stay inquisitive, open-minded, and that's what I've been working on at least. Yeah, yeah. So what, what are your plans for 2021? Any, anything that you can reveal to us as a, a kind of a, a leak about a Green Dreamer podcast? Yeah, so I mean, I had wanted to do this last year, but the pandemic kind of derailed my plans. But I was in the middle oh. of working on a mobile home, like building out a camper van so that wow, I could... Nice travel with my two dogs um, and be able to visit people in different areas, working on community projects or regenerative oh, projects, re restorative projects, mm -hmm. and be able to do more field filmed video interviews with them. Like the ones you have on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. so I have like Those two of them so far. And I really, I really loved being able to meet people in real life because it is still different. Um, mm -hmm. But with the pandemic, I didn't feel comfortable uh, traveling all course, over, yeah. over the place and constantly meeting new people and making them feel uncomfortable in any way. So, mm -hmm. uh, so far that's still on hold. It's no, I think that's quite a wise, it's quite a wise decision to have put on hold, I think. Yeah. So depends on how this year goes with the pandemic. I don't know that will be any, uh, that I'll be able to embark on this plan still, but that's something that's on the horizon. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I think we're gonna near the we're nearing the end here. Um, we we usually ask our our guests to recommend a, a book or something, and then if Jamie and I have a book also on kind of some of the topics that we've talked about, we also recommend one. Is there something that you've been reading lately or that you think um, everybody should get their hands on? I'm currently reading Braiding Sweetgrass. Not sure if you've heard of it by I... Robin Wall Kimmer. Yeah, I, it definitely rings a bell. Uh, she's an indigenous author and it's just, it really speaks to your soul and I really, really recommend it. Um, I'm not done with it, but a million people recommended it to me and I'm currently reading it now and it's just, yeah, mm -hmm. makes me oh. feel warm and fuzzy inside. And it, what it, I have it in front of me right now. The subtitle is um, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge and the Teaching of Plants. So essentially it kind of bridges the gap between Western science and indigenous wisdom mm -hmm. and highlights how a lot of times Western science uh, kind of strips away the personhood and emotions and relationships because it's all about looking at things in a very objective manner, mm -hmm. but relationships are how we experience this world. So like how you might relate to a plant or to another living being, like there is value in contextualizing um, whatever we're trying to study with these sorts of relationships that we have with them. And so, yeah, that's kind yeah. of what I've gained from it so far. I'm sure there's many more that I'll learn from it. Yeah, I think actually got recommended to us a while back, but that's why I, I couldn't quite get my head around it. Yeah, it, we de I've definitely heard that name before. I still can't remember from who, but I this is the second time. So I'll, 
now I think it, you've just moved it up in my <laughs> in my book list to, to get. But I have so many books already to read through. <laughs> yeah, terrible. It's such a problem. I'm such it a slow is. reader too. So, oh yeah, and also up. books for the podcast. I you know you definitely know about this, but having to like take notes or at least read through some books while kind of thinking about them is is so takes so much more time than just reading through a book naturally. Mm-hmm um like we're reading i'm reading through uh, ben burgess's book right now and and it's like it's like a hundred pages not even and it's taking me weeks because every page i have to take notes and it's a wonderful book it's absolutely wonderful it's called give him an argument but it's uh i have to say i i need to get back to kind of just pleasure reading instead of reading for knowledge or for um, you know personal development i think i think that's something that we could all use a bit of a little bit of escapism these days thank you so much cameo for for joining us uh it's been a blast having you and we really wish you the best thank on you, your journey with uh, green dreamer and i'm sure you're still going to surprise us with all sorts of different topics and personally i can't wait i'm i'm definitely going to tune in so thank you so much for coming thank you so much yeah. thanks maybe, for having maybe, me maybe a bit further down the road we can you know have a kind of uh re-meeting and kind of catch up i guess yeah. yeah, let's definitely keep in touch. We will talk to you maybe uh, after your your mobile home travels, so we can uh, we can talk about that. <laughs> we can see what you've done. Um, and do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, maybe so people know where to find you, where to contact you. Um, so the Green Dreamer is just greendreamer.com. We're on Instagram at Green Dreamer Podcast, and then I recently started a independent, um, 100% reader supported newsletter. Um, where it's more because with the podcast it's mostly me asking questions but with my newsletter like I can actually give more of my personal take and commentary so mm-hmm. if people are interested in that um, that's at kamea.substack.com okay right and is it I think I saw that is it called up uh uprooted oh yeah oh. it's called uprooted uprooted yeah uprooted okay. yeah that's correct great awesome uh well um, I'll, yeah. I'll definitely be subscribing as well then. so <laughs> you've got one more reader thank you all right take care thanks so much again for coming on the show thank you so much thank you fight for the air that you breathe because we all have the power to change yeah we all